I'm Crystal Siracus. Welcome to Off the Page, the show featuring good books and good conversations with authors from our own region and from around the world. My guest today is forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Baden. He's the former chief medical examiner of New York City and the past co-director of the New York State Police Medico-Legal Investigations Unit. Over the course of his career, he's performed more than 20,000 autopsies and consulted as an expert on a number of high-profile cases, including Arthur Miller, Michael Brown, and George Floyd. He was also the host of the HBO series Autopsy for 13 years. His latest book is American Autopsy, One Medical Examiner's Decades-Long Fight for Racial Justice in a Broken Legal System. He writes about his more than six decades of experience as a medical examiner fighting against political pressure when it comes to accurately determining the cause of death of people who die in police custody. Dr. Baden, thanks so much for joining me. Good to be with you. So I'd like to start out just so that everybody has a clear understanding. What does a forensic pathologist do? A pathologist is one of the 24 specialties in medicine, and it's uh, the specialty that looks to determine what illnesses uh, the patient has uh, in the hospital and uh, runs the laboratory, looks at biopsies, uh, doesn't treat patients, but tries to find out uh, through laboratory tests uh, what conditions the patient has and gives that information to the treating physicians to, to take care of the patient. The forensic pathologist is a, is a small area in pathology and is an area that is concerned with unnatural conditions that, hit, that the body is involved with. The regular pathology, uh, the regular pathologist is an expert on natural diseases, uh, cancer, heart disease, uh, Alzheimer's. And uh, about uh, 92% of people die of natural diseases. 8% or so die of injury and trauma and uh, unnatural conditions, accidents, suicide, homicide, drug overdose. And we specialize in determining how the unnatural infirmities that uh, afflict the body. In reading your book, I was really surprised to learn that there is no uniform system when it comes to investigating an unnatural death in this country. Every state has a different method, and you write that sometimes that even varies from county to county within that state. That must make finding answers when it comes to investigating a death really hard sometimes. Absolutely correct. Half of our country is still the death investigation is uh dictated uh, by uh, standards that were established 400 years ago when uh, the uh, colonists adopted the coroner system investigating how people die. Coroners are elected officials that look into causes of death and issue death certificates. Today, half the country is still running the coroner system in this antiquated system, uh, and half have developed since the uh, 1880s, uh, where it was decided that investigating how people die unnaturally is uh, really the role of a physician or a medical uh, person. And um, uh, so what's developed is a medical examiner system in which the chief med- the persons in charge have to be physicians 
many times pathologists, but not necessarily uh, in the medical examiner system, and uh, that uh, the specific expertise of a physician uh, in determining cause of death in unnatural conditions is um, the forensic pathologist. Now, it turns out the, the forensic pathologist usually gets involved with deaths that are due to injury or trauma, but also to all deaths outside of hospitals. Anybody who dies away from a hospital requires the police to come by, the coroner or medical examiner to be informed of the findings, and preferably to come to the scene to determine, firstly, whether there is anything unusual about the death. In a hospital, when people die of natural diseases or in a nursing home, the police don't have to be called, the medical examiner doesn't have to be called. Because we don't have this standard that is set across the country, and as you say, using some antiquated methods, do you think that there is a significant number of unnatural deaths that may not be properly investigated? Absolutely. And, and this comes up very much with the deaths in, in, in police custody. Some states, smaller states, may have uh, statewide medical examiner systems. A state like New York has a, a county system, which we have 63 counties, and uh, most of the counties are coroner counties. New York City, say, is, a, is, is a one jurisdiction with five, we have five counties, and uh, altogether, there are about 15 counties in New York, in New York State that have medical examiners. Uh, there are some states that are entirely coroner, and others like New York that are partially uh, by county. Uh, are elected physicians, and it could be anybody in most states who is uh, old enough to vote and a citizen, wow. uh, requires no medical knowledge or scientific knowledge, just a, by by vote. Some doctors run, maybe 5% of coroners are um, physicians who are elected, and uh, most coroners are funeral directors who are uh, the people in the community that are most interested in the dead body. I think most people are going to be very surprised to learn that. Well, it, it that's been our way since colonial days. I mean, colonial, mm. in colonial days, it was all uh, elected persons. And medical examiners and physicians can make mistakes in into investigating death, the causes of death, but it's the uh, coroners make a lot more mistakes than that. And that's one of the reasons why statistics and analysis is, is very difficult in this country. I want to talk about a section of your book that you wrote about when you became the chief medical examiner in New York City in 1978. There was a black businessman named Arthur Miller who died while being restrained by police. And you determined that the cause of death was restraint asphyxia and that it was a homicide. And you had some pushback about that. What happened after that? Well, uh, that uh, that put me at odds with various police officials, because at that time in 1978, it was customary when people died in police encounters or law enforcement elsewhere in, in uh, correction facilities that the cause was that the in a struggle with police officers that the cause was um, some form of excited uh, delirium that we call it now which was called then psychosis with exhaustion psychosis with exhaustion meaning 
that the individual died because he got too excited in in the struggle. Uh, and the reason that works is because, as with George Floyd most recently, if somebody dies during compression uh, uh, of the neck or the uh, chest so the person can't breathe, it doesn't leave any marks that can be found at autopsy. And uh, therefore, um, other causes of death are um, attributed. And therefore, what happened with um, Arthur Miller, who, who was a, a it was a, just a sad story. He was an outstanding member of the black community in Brooklyn who um, owned businesses, uh, was a community uh, worker, came home and found that there was a crowd developing around two police officers who were arresting actually Arthur Miller's brother because he was disposing of trash uh, inappropriately, apparently. Miller puts his hands up and tells the crowd to calm down and to not get uh, agitated, uh, and which they would started to do. But the police officers saw that he had a weapon, a gun, which was a legal gun that he was allowed to carry in his business, grabbed him, brought him to the police car. He said, I couldn't breathe. And he, he was dead when he got to the um, to the police station. I was a chief medical examiner just appointed. And uh, I spoke to the Brooklyn medical examiner who was going to, who had done the autopsy. Uh, and he uh, asked to describe the findings. And then he said, well, he had uh, neck injuries and he had um, uh, hemorrhages in his eyes. And um, it's another case of psychosis with exhaustion. And I said, we can't do that. He died because these are typical findings in uh, uh, neck compression, strangulation that he had, and we put down strangulation, and there was a lot of pushback politically and from the uh, the mayor, and it was one of the reasons that he uh, uh, demoted me to um, deputy chief medical examiner back in 1979. It was uh, what we what is being called now. We still have it around the country. Uh, excited delirium, which. Uh, is uh, used by coroners and medical examiners. And in 2021, I know that the uh, American Medical Association, the AMA, issued a policy statement saying that they opposed this excited delir delirium as a medical diagnosis and went so far as to say that their reports show a pattern of using that term as justification for excessive police force. And if you were dealing with this in 1978, how are we still dealing with this today? Uh, I, I mean, it seems it, like the dangers of this would be known by now. I think it's disgraceful. And I think that um, the, the American Medical Association, the American Psychiat uh, Psychiatric Association and the World Health Organization is a diagnosis that's used in other countries with uh, when people die during police encounters have all uh, viciously, uh, you know, loudly said that there's no science behind it, that it's uh, junk science and that it's very much intertwined with racism. And the racism basis is that uh, there's a dis disproportionately black victims of uh, the, these death that are, are, are these deaths. Crystal, can I mention there was an interesting story in, involving Thurgood Marshall in this regard. As a result of uh, concerns about uh, the uh, the deaths from um, 
uh, neck compression uh, as uh, had occurred with uh, Arthur Miller uh, showing hemorrhages in the neck because of the pressure in the neck, you, usually from uh, a, a forearm or a, night, a nightstick that was pressed against the windpipe, against the Adam's apple, to uh, restrain a person, usually people in acute manic crisis from not taking their their uh, psychiatric medications or taking uh, drugs of abuse. A person would die during the restraint, during the restraint, trying to put handcuffs on or so. And uh, at autopsy, we would find fractures of the windpipe in front and a lot of hemorrhage in the neck and the hemorrhages in the eyes. Um, and this kind of interference with breathing, it was an attempt to, to stop the person breathing, would would cause um, would cause a struggle, uh, uh, many minutes of struggling with the cops. The Los Angeles Police Department developed a method of restraint, not pressing on the windpipe, but pressing on the sides of the neck, taking the forearm and the arm. Uh, against the side of the, of the neck and the windpipe in the crook of the neck, which would compress the carotid arteries and cause the individuals to uh, pass out within eight seconds because they were pressing on both of the, the one individual, the one cop behind him, behind the person, would grab him behind the neck. They dis, did this to Eric Garner, and he would then pass out within... Uh, uh, eight seconds because all of the blood, this blood supply carrying the oxygen would be uh, shut off. We, from the time we are born to the time we die, have a continuous blood flows to the brain supplying oxygen and nutrients and getting rid of waste. And if that continuous uh, blood supply to the brain uses up 20% of our oxygen intake is cut off, even for, for eight seconds, you pass out and that's long enough to be able to put handcuffs on. And the person can then start breathing right away and uh, there isn't brain damage. But if that is left on too long, uh, a person can die from it, uh, can die from it. Uh, and this happened with somebody, a black person in Los Angeles brought a lawsuit against the police because a, the police officer had put a, a carotid sleeper hold on him. He had passed out. He was terrified. He survived. He brought it, He brought this um, uh, action uh, in federal court. It went up to the Supreme Court, and it was argued by the attorney general in California that this was um, a, a means of um, getting people into handcuffs that had nothing to do with race or anything. So Thurgood Marshall was furious about it. He said, well, how come 15 of the 18 deaths in, in um, California were black people? And so the, and the attorney general said, because black people have weaker necks. That infuriated uh, Thurgood Marshall, number one, um, and it's completely uh, not true. The Supreme Court, however, by a five to four vote at that time, back in 78 or so, said uh, uh, they didn't want to get involved with telling police how to work. But it was very well known back then that uh, these carotid sleeper holds can cause death and they're still causing death. And mm. part of the reason, I think, Crystal, is that there are no statistics on it. We don't keep any records, uh, national records of how often the, the, these deaths occur, 
and they only come up every now and then on isolated cases where the media, for some reason or other, gets interested, like in Floyd and uh, 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 Garner. It all depends on what other information is going on that day around the world. And for every George Floyd or Eric Garner, there's maybe a hundred other deaths that have occurred that nobody knows about. It seems that part of this is because there is so much political pressure on medical examiners to come up with a cause of death that I guess serves the narrative? Well, I think part of it is that the way we are trained to become medical examiners is we're trained by the police, by the prosecutors, and with the impression that the medical examiner is part of the a prosecution team. The medical examiner is trained as not being uh, an independent scientist as he or she is trained in medical school. We're trained in how people die, how to, how people are treated. Doctors, the good doctor, the proper doctors, don't consider race as, as important. Uh, or or sex, they have different uh, doctors and sex that we're supposed to treat everybody equal. And and uh, doctors that I know, training at Bellevue Hospital, and all uh, have that feeling. But when we get into medical examiners, I use the analogy of a three-legged stool. The first thing they tell us, not they, but the chief medical examiner, the district attorney, meet with the uh, uh, new medical examiner, say in New York City, the and explain to them how justice is obtained by the the police, prosecutor, and medical examiner working as a team. And one of the things that was brought up immediately uh, when I was involved as chief, became chief and uh, addressed the uh, Arthur Miller case, was that I was not a team player. And that, uh, you know, a team player doesn't say the police caused harm because it only gets the, the public upset. Uh, what happens is that medical examiners start out with a lot of pressure that we're we are dealing with the good guys, uh, the people the police arrest, the people that the police uh, know are the bad guys, and we're to work together. And I think there's a culture in uh, among justice system that the medical examiners are part uh, and biased toward the prosecution. I know that in your career as a medical examiner, you have encountered these these cases where uh, disproportionately large numbers of black men have been killed or died in police custody, whether they're being you know arrested and died then, they die in the hospitals. But it's striking to me that it it reminds me of how in the civil rights era, public awareness about the civil rights area wasn't a big thing until newspapers started printing photographs of the marchers the Freedom Riders being beaten. And today we have smartphones and videos of people like George Floyd basically being killed on camera. Do these recordings play any part in your findings as a medical examiner? Absolutely. Absolutely. What happened is suddenly there was a realization that many of these deaths occurred with due to police activity because of the smartphone in 2007 that documented what happened, as we see with Tyree Nichols uh, just Mm. recently. The police versions of what happened are different than the witnesses 
and that's with George Floyd also, which um, they the police put in often when there's a death in custody, they put in inaccurate descriptions of what happened. It's only after the videos are seen of what happened that the discrepancies are realized. Uh, a case in point that uh, there was a person a few years ago, I think to about 2018, Green, who was chased by police for some traffic violation, black male, mm-hmm. according to the death certificate, according to the death certificate, this is down in Louisiana, by the um, coroner down in um, Louisiana, cause of death, automobile crash. Two years later, when they get, when the lawyers have finally gotten um, the video, it shows he crashes into the bushes, police come over, drag him out of the cart. He, he said the first thing he does is say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that he uh, uh, didn't stop her sooner. They pull him out of the car, they tase him, they beat him, they pepper spray him, they put uh, shackles on him, and uh, he dies. What the um, video shows is that when he gets out of the car, he has no injuries on his body. When he dies at autopsy, he has a lot of injuries that causes uh, his death. And uh, this would be recorded if anyone was trying to see what happened as uh, an automobile accident, uh, um, you know, injuries from an automobile accident. I think what's happened, and I think Floyd shows, is that whereas in the past when people died in police activity, Police would put their version in. They had nothing to do with it. And um, uh, the witnesses would give a different story. And the prosecutor would accept what the police say. Prosecutors don't want to uh, bring charges against police officers that they work with all the day. And I think one of the reasons I wrote the book was because, although it's common knowledge that police, prosecutors, and judges are, are favorable toward the police versions of what happens, it's the medical examiners who are even more significant in the underreporting of deaths in police uh, encounters by giving bad diagnoses that don't indicate that the police were involved. If the medical examiner puts down uh, on a death certificate uh, excited delirium or sickle trait, sickle trait where Eight percent of blacks have sickle trait, one gene of sickle cell, but that that is entirely doesn't cause any problems for um, uh, the individual. Nobody got, dies uh, from sickle trait, except except when uh, they die uh, in uh, contact with the police. Sickle cell disease is, is severe, but not sickle trait. Uh, but there are many types of diagnoses that are made by the medical examiner, which does not capture that there's a police involvement and that we're part of the problem. We're part of the problem, as you suggest, Crystal, that even though we've known for decades uh, that when people die from uh, inability to breathe from asphyxia, uh, nothing may show up at the autopsy. And again, that demonstrates that the autopsy really should start at the scene. The scene of death is important in all autopsies, and you see that on on television programs, but it's true that uh, in order to determine whether to do an autopsy, in order to determine 
uh, uh, how extensive the autopsy should be done. And in order to interpret autopsy findings, one has to know how and when the individual died. And much of that is captured at the scene. Uh, in the past, before videos and before uh, smartphones, the medical examiners often got their information from the police. The, the, the police uh, tell them what happened. The me uh, medical examiners include that in their interpretation. And um, according to a number of studies, a big study from the state of Washington uh, a year or two ago, th that more than half of all deaths caused by police are given false diagnoses that uh, mm. uh, exclude that. And I think it may be a lot more than half. We're almost out of time, but one more question for you. How do we fix this? Well, I think one of the things that uh, that I'm trying to, that I wrote the book for is to, to show the importance of getting a national consolidated type data system uh, necessary to start to analyze how many people die and why they die. In fairness, the federal government, Congress, tried to do this in 1913. They passed a bill that included voluntary reporting of deaths in police encounters, and none of the agencies around the country, uh, uh, they didn't do very much. Uh, most of them didn't reply, send much information in, because it, was, it wasn't mandatory. Uh, this was revived uh, more recently then it was added on to uh, to uh, report deaths in police during police custody the the government uh inspection office reviewed this uh last year last year and found that the G, that the all these deaths were supposed to be reported to the justice department that many of the deaths they didn't get a full a full report but the Justice Department said, according to their interpretation of the law, they can't release anything that uh, they get. They, they can't uh, release the information they get uh, on deaths in custody uh, for uh, law enforcement improvement or, uh, because they weren't authorized to do that by Congress. So we don't have any system. We report all, we report all cases of gonorrhea. We report all cases of food poisoning. But we don't report deaths in custody. And I think there has to be a national reporting system, mandatory, so that we can determine how many people die, how many people die of, uh, of asphyxia, of, of, of being beaten up like Tyride Nichols. Body cams are helpful, but they're too close to the action, and uh, many police just turn them off when they have this kind of situation. And so I think the first step, the first step in trying to uh, to um, address this problem and to diminish the deaths in police activity is to find out how many they are and why they are caused. Uh, and uh, as any other uh, scientific investigation would, uh, would uh, uh, require. Dr. Baden, thank you so much for talking with me. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's an important issue that uh, we're, we're addressing. Dr. Michael Bodden's latest book, American Autopsy, is available now. Find out more on our website at wskg.org. Off the Page only exists because of the support of listeners like you who become members of your public radio station. 
If you haven't yet made a donation in support of Off the Page, visit WSKG.org and click on the red Donate button. Off the Page is a production of WSKG Public Media. I'm your host and producer, Crystal Sarakis. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time we go Off the Page. <laughs>